0: Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's really good to have you here as we conclude uh, this series called Follower. And over the past 10 weeks, we've been looking at that, this whole concept of what is a follower of Jesus. And it aligns right with our mission statement here at Fellowship Bible Church of why we're here. And we're here to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you haven't found Christ yet, you haven't made a faith statement for your life, it's my prayer that you would see who Jesus is today and what he's done for you, and what he calls you to just in a relationship with him, because that's what we're about. We're not about just a religion. We're talking about a relationship with him, and once you've found Christ, it's our desire that you would follow him. We've kind of been giving you that outline of what is a follower of Jesus, and today for our last talk on this, uh, the follower of Jesus is committed to a local church, and I know what some of you are thinking. Joe, of course I would expect you to say this. You're a pastor. You want us to be a part of a of a local church. And that is true, but probably for for a different reason than you think. But it's like anything. It's like a a dentist wants you to get regular checkups. Or uh, a member of a club wants you to join, right? Uh, I remember several years ago, I won't give you the number, uh, when I really felt God wanted me to go into the ministry. And I was leaving a family company at that time. And here's the big reason I wanted to serve the Lord in ministry. It's because I wanted to be a part of a major spiritual awakening in a city in America where people who were lost were found by God, where people who were broken by sin were getting bound up and healed by God. I wanted to be a part of people having an awakening to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And because of that, God brought me to where we are today, and I really believe that Topeka is on the verge of a, marriage, of a major spiritual awakening, and God's plan for that is the local church, and when we talk about the local church, we're not just going to be talking about Fellowship Bible Church, we're going to be talking about all churches in Topeka who lift up the person and the work of Jesus and call people to find and follow him. That's not just fellowship. As God looks down from heaven, he doesn't just see Fellowship Bible Church as the church in Topeka. We are part of the church. But we're part of the church that we are here today to talk about. And so I want to talk to you, what does it look like to be committed to a church And why? Why are we here? I mean, there's such a low connection rate, especially with the younger generation to a church. I think it's easy that if you grew up in church and that church wasn't talking about its purpose or wasn't investing you into something greater, it was doing ministry for you, but it wasn't really calling you. It's very easy to go, I'm bored. I don't want to go to church anymore. But I want to show you God's purpose because God has designed the church. For you to not only find your purpose, but to live your purpose as a follower in Jesus. Let's go back to the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, open up there with me to Acts chapter 1. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. And it is a continuation as the author Luke, who wrote the account of the life of Christ in the book of Luke. He's continuing now with the Acts of the Apostles. What did people What were their lives like of the people who followed the risen Savior, Jesus? Because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, after Jesus resurrected, he appears to his apostles and he says this. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. That's really key because that's how the message of Jesus spread from people who saw him alive. He was once dead, but was alive. And you had personal eyewitnesses of who Jesus was, and that's who they—that's what they spread. Not only is Jesus alive, but He is who He said He is, and he, He'll do for you what He said He'll do for you. He lived for you, He died for you, and He rose again for you. And this is where—this is where—they were called to be a witness in Jerusalem. And then in that that region around Jerusalem, which was all Judea and Samaria, and then even beyond that to the ends of the earth, end of the earth. At that time, if you went to the Strait of Gibraltar right off the coast of Spain, I don't know how many of you have been there, but I went there one time, and you can look and you can see about 26 miles off the coast of Spain, you can see the continent of Africa. It's where Europe and Africa meet. And at that time, they believed if a ship sailed through the Strait of Gibraltar, they would sail off the end of the earth. Kind of crazy, except the reality was any ships that went back never came back. (laughs) And so they had enough proof that there was anything beyond that, of which we know now there was a great world beyond that. We're part of that world beyond that. But at that time, the known world was Spain. That's the farthest region. And you'll see at the end of the book, of Acts, that the Apostle Paul went to Spain and proclaimed the gospel. He literally took it to the end of the earth. But this is something they were called to. And so uh, now we move to 50 days after Pentecost, or 50 days after Passover, it's called Pentecost. And Jews assembled into Jerusalem again to worship God at the temple. And there were Jews from the ends of the earth, It's interesting how this happened. From all around the world, there were practicing Jewish believers at the temple. And the scriptures say, this was a supernatural event, that the Holy Spirit descended down in a whirlwind and then tongues of fire happened on the apostles so that they could speak in languages they previously would not know how to speak. And they could proclaim the gospel and the mighty works of God to everyone from who was around them from the ends of the earth. So if you were there from from India, you could hear the gospel in your language. It was a known language spoken to you. What does this mean? I mean, if you were there, and I don't know if you've traveled to a place where they don't speak English. There's few and far between these days, but if you have, you long for your language to be spoken again. It's the one you think in, and dream in, and imagine in, and And here it was, the gospel, the very mighty works of God proclaimed in their language. And they said, what in the world? We're hearing these things in our own languages. In other words, God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He's calling you into a relationship with him. Some people, though, I think if it would have happened here, we'd have the same response. Some people thought, this is amazing. And other people thought, they're drunk. Listen to them. They're drunk. Well, to this confused crowd... Peter stands up and he starts preaching and he said, hey, they're not drunk. He didn't have a watch. It's nine o'clock in the morning (laughs) and so they're not drunk, but these are to fulfill what the prophet Joel had said about Jesus and he starts showing them from the scriptures how Jesus had to come, how he had to live, die and rise again. And he said, you crucified him, but God raised him. At the summary of his sermon, by the way, this is a guy who said, I never knew Jesus. I I don't know him. When Jesus was arrested, he was a wimp. But here he is standing boldly in front of the people who may even have accused Jesus. He says this, let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Scriptures say is once they heard this, it says they were cut to the heart. In other words, they understood they had responsibility for the death of Jesus. We we cried out for his crucifixion. We took the very one God brought to live for us and die for us and rise again for us. We took him and we nailed him to a tree. We messed up. We're toast. It's not in your Bible, but that's my paraphrase. We're toast. And so Peter says, no, no, no. They go, brothers, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So look what he was calling them to. He was calling them to stop trying to impress God, even stop stop accusing yourself and trying to pay for your own sin and trust and follow this Jesus who lived for you, died for you, and rose again for you turn, repent, turn from your way to trust Jesus to save you. You know, some some of us here in this room need this message right now. You need to know that you're not here uh, and, and you're not, you don't deserve with your good works, with you trying harder, with your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds last day's failures with today's successes. God does not compare you with anyone except with Jesus. And because of that, we're all toast. (laughs) And we all ought to come to Jesus just like they did. What should we do? And the message of the gospel is repent. Turn from your sin to trust and follow Jesus. Turn from your independent, self-righteous way and turn to Jesus and ask him to save you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the promise of the gospel. And that's the the message that we share often here. And that's what he shared with the people there. And they said many, many received the word and they were baptized. And baptism doesn't save you, apart from maybe your background would tell you. But baptism doesn't save you. It just shows it's a public demonstration that I believe. It's a public statement. I believe with Jesus. When he died, he died for me. When he rose again, he rose again for me. And so that water is a picture of what we have with Christ. And it says that 3,000 people on that day trusted in christ and became part of this new community this new community would be called the ekklesia that's the greek word ekming out kaleo mean called the called out ones called out from their sin into the righteousness that jesus gave them called out from darkness into the light of jesus and so they were to live as the called out ones I remember going to Israel this past year in June. And I went to this spot where this, where Peter preached this message. And I'll show you why they think Peter preached the message at this location. It's at the south entrance of the Temple Mount, which still stands today, even though it's over 2,000 years old, built by Herod the Great, right before Jesus came to this world. And here we are looking at the temple steps. And we're, our, our guide there named Mickey is, is teaching us about this area. And then we walked up to the place where Peter gave this message at an entrance to the temple platform there. Here I am with my dad. We kind of look alike. Uh, but but here is the place. that As they unearthed this area in the past 25 years, they unearthed no less than 48 of these mikvahs, which are ceremonial baths. Uh, believers would go in and they would walk down into the water immerse themselves, and then come back up on the other side of it so that they would, there would be a, you're dirty this way, you're clean the next way. And they would come up. And before this area was unearthed, there was a lot of speculation and skeptics of biblical history that would say, I don't think that could have happened. Water was a scarcity in Jerusalem. There's no way 3,000 people could be baptized. Well, when they unearthed 48 of these baths, they realized, of course, 3,000 people in one day could be baptized in this place. But this was the new community. This was the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. And they were called to not only find Jesus, but help others find and follow Jesus. That was their charter. And this is what they looked like. Look with me into Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and we'll read just a few more verses. So this is what it looked like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's talk about these. Because I think there's four practices I want to focus on that I see in this first community, this new community of believers. And there are four practices that as a church we focus on. So just as back then, they're the same practices. And they're also the same practices I would use when you think about what's a commitment to my church family. What does a commitment to a church family look like? And if it's not here, if you're visiting from another church, I hope these practices are in your church because God honors them and blesses them as we're faithful to them. Let's talk about the first one. It is biblical teaching. In other words, we preach from the Bible, the word of God. If you look at Peter's sermon you will see him take out the Old Testament scriptures and explain them. And he would explain them about what they said about Jesus, and then he would pair that with what he saw and heard from Jesus. And that was really important. An apostle was someone who literally was an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus. And he did, Jesus didn't just show himself to a few people. He showed himself to over 500 people in and around Jerusalem. So there were a lot of people at that time who literally saw a living Jesus. And those people were witnesses. By biblical teaching, they called it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted. They committed themselves and they put themselves under the authority of the word. We do that here. We call you to put yourself under the teaching, whoever is teaching on this place. And you say, but Joe, come on, I can listen to podcasts of preachers far better than you that really inspire me all the more. Why don't I just stay home on a Sunday morning and, and listen to that and build a playlist of different pastors who I like, my favorite pastor list. And I'll be honest with you, there are people and pastors there are men and women who can teach the scriptures better than me. I understand that. So why do we get together? The end of the story when we get together is not so that you would say, Joe, you're such an awesome pastor or teacher. It's that we could say together, God is an awesome God. This is what he's telling us to do. And this is how we as a church family will follow him. Because a movement of God happens far beyond one person's response to God's word. A movement of God happens when we all gather around the same passage. Today we're next to. We look at what it means. And we ask God, God, what are you saying to me? What do you want us to do? And that's where my gift of exhortation comes out because I love to call everyone. What could happen if we all believe this and follow Jesus the way he's calling us to live right now? What could happen? And here's the deal. With just the people in this, we've had three services already. With just the people in this room, Topeka would look different. It would. If we actually lived out. And there's something about being aligned to the same passage that if we all went and lived like Jesus is calling us, A movement could happen. A major spiritual awakening could happen in our city. So that's why we get together. We get together not so that the end of the story would be, Joe, you're a great pastor. or Whoever preaches, that's the guy I like the best. No, we're here to to actually see a handoff happen that whoever is leading up here would give you a picture and an appetite for the word that you would go, Spirit, what are you saying to me? And what does this look like in my home, in my neighborhood, in my city? The end is, God, look what you're doing in my life. Not that pastor's a great person. Jonathan Edwards, when he preached back in the 1700s, the sinners in the hands of an angry God. I don't know if you've ever read that. It's a very long message, and it's kind of a daunting message. It's like you're a spider over the flames of hell. That's where you are, and unless God reaches out his hand, you're toast. Again, that's not in the the sermon, but that's my paraphrase. when, When he got done preaching that message, people came up to him and said, best message I've ever heard. You're an awesome preacher. And he stuck back and he never preached it again because the end of his sermon was about him. The end of the sermon is not about me. It's not about anyone in this room. It's about God and his work. Biblical teaching draws people to the scriptures to find and follow God and allow him to move in your life. Second of all, there was loving fellowship. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. There's an article before fellowship rather than the verb. The fellowship was actually a word in the Greek language called koinonia. And it literally means commonness. And I like this. Here's why. Because everyone is accepted in the family of God. Everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus is accepted into the family. And it's so radically different than our culture who stratifies you based on race, based on income level, based on performance, based on accomplishments, or based on failures or mess-ups. Our whole culture stratifies people. These are the successful. These are the in. These are the out. These are the popular. These are the marginal. And what we as a church can say is, no, we will be common No one is any more uh, valuable than anyone in this place. And that we have the pattern of loving each other. And loving requires that I step down from my position and I give up myself to lift you up. A loving fellowship, it says they were all common. They had all things in common. That's the common, all things. Everyone was priceless. And they let them know that some people who had need, they thought, whoa, you are are not making it. We will help you make it. And isn't it something? When you get to be a part of God providing for people through generosity, this is a common. It's a loving fellowship, and we're called to be a part of that. We're called as a church to keep accounts short. In other words, if you offend me, I'm called to go to you, not put up the Facebook post, okay? That's not going to the person, even though they're a friend just about to be unfriended by you. No, there is something that we come together and we deal with. If you spend enough time with me, trust me, talk to my wife, I will offend you. I will, I will, I can kind of play a good role up here, but if you spend time, I've got to keep short accounts with my family, with my marriage, with my friends. So we have the value. Uh, If we're going to love each other, when you offend me, I'm going to go right to you, and I'm going to restore the relationship. If I've hurt you, we want to take care of that so we don't grieve the Holy Spirit, and we don't grieve each other, because the church is called to have a loving fellowship. Everyone in here is priceless. I will never know what anyone in here gives, so I don't kiss up to you. I want to love everyone in here. And as I've done that, God has brought a lot of different people into my life. People who know him, people who have not trusted him yet. People who believe like me and people who believe exactly opposite as I believe. But I've learned to love them because as I've gone deeper with you, God has given me a greater capacity to love. And I'm better at loving today than I was even five years ago. And, and I, it's just one of those things. I've just grown in that I'm not where I wanna be, but I'm better than I used to be because God is deepening me with you, my church family. Loving fellowship. And then there's living worship. Living worship. Look what it says in that passage. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They not only devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, but they also broke bread together and prayers. In other words, they celebrated the work of Jesus through communion, the Lord's Supper together. We do that here the first weekend of every month. We lift up the person in the work of Jesus, and by taking that, we say to each other, I believe, I believe. I'm in God's family through the work of Christ. And we celebrate his work. But worship here wasn't dead and lifeless. It was living. It was living. And it wasn't just when they were together. It was also in their homes. It says day by day when they attended the temple services of worship, which this is a a large gathering. And then in their homes, they broke bread. They had meals together. They celebrated what Christ was doing together. There was no limitation. There were no walls around this church. When it met together, and then when it went out from it from each other, they, they worshipped God. It said awe and wonder was upon them. Now, we don't have uh, miracle services up here. <laughs> but what I'm seeing happening right now in our church family through our rooted experience is I'm seeing miracles happening. People far from God who turned and trusted Christ. Some of you in this room came to Christ through our rooted experience. This coming Thursday evening, we're going to have a celebration here with, we're expecting over 150 people who are going to be baptized in this place, celebrating their faith in Christ. I can't wait for moments like that where we celebrate the work of God and we have living, not lifeless, worship. And then they had ongoing, outgoing mission. Here it says they grew in favor with all the people. In other words, they had such a positive impact in their community that people said, who are these people? Oh, they're Christians. They're Christ followers. And that's always a key for me as a pastor. Are we living our lives away from here? Are we serving our community in the way that people go, who are they? That's refreshing. Who are they? That's loving. That's caring. And I've always asked the question, if fellowship was wiped from this corner, would our community miss us? Because there are other churches in our community that if they were wiped from the corner, we would go, yes. Yeah, I mean, there's that picture. Our culture despises some churches. Are we a church that our community has favor with? And then as they were faithful to these practices, guess what? God added to their number. And I think that's one of the greatest uh, compliments from God is that he entrusts a church with people, priceless, eternal people. So as we grow as a church family, I always want to make room for more, always. That's why we have four services so that we are always showing, look, look, it says empty seats, invite your friends. They need to receive what you have through Christ. You're not any better than they are, but everyone can have what Christ has done for them if they simply turn and trust him. Ongoing, outgoing mission. As this passage would develop in in Luke's account in the book of Acts, we'll see that that mission just moved on. I mean, right after this passage As the gospel is thriving in and around Jerusalem, all of a sudden, one of their followers is martyred. Stephen is martyred. And then all of a sudden, the whole public tide goes against the church and they try to kill them and people run for their lives. But when they ran out of Jerusalem with nothing but the clothes on their back, running for their lives, they still had the gospel. And when they went to Judea and Samaria, that's what they did. They shared the gospel, the priceless gift from God of Jesus with everyone and then you'll see it advance to places where the gospel has never been and we're committed to those same places there's couples right now some even in this service that are preparing to go to a place with very little gospel exposure and we're going to support them and send them to these places so that the gospel can be proclaimed to the end of the earth because we're a church about ongoing outgoing mission so what's my response Here's where I want to talk to you about your application of this. Here, let me just call you to commit to a local church. If that's fellowship, awesome. If that's another church in Topeka, awesome. But find one that practices these four principles and go all in. Don't hold a church off with, with an arm's length. Get involved and fulfill your God-given purpose and mission through a commitment to a local church. Your response in the first one is this. If if the role of a local church is to teach you the scriptures, then be devoted to the teachings of the scriptures in your church. Show up ready to learn. Because you will either be devoted or you'll be distracted. Here's a quick question. Where did your mind go since the message started? Think about that. Have you been devoted... Or are you distracted? I was out at Silicon Valley this week, and I was at a conference, not the big one in San Francisco, but the one in San, San Jose. And it was with other pastors, and we were talking about innovation in ministry. And one guy who had work, uh, written for the Harvard Business Review and Wall Street Journal got up there, and he started talking about screens and the distraction of screens. How far we've come in understanding uh, the world and having access to information. And just information is right at our fingertips. But he also said the average American spends eight and a half hours on screens. You know the screen you're about, you're making your final changes for fantasy football right now? That one. That one. Eight and a half hours, whether it's television or a computer or any other type of screen. Eight and a half hours. I mean, if we get paid for this, we'd have full employment here, folks. Eight and a half hours, and we're distracted by it. You go to public places, and there's people just walking like zombies, looking at a screen. I want to invent an app that says the light has changed. <laughs> we're so distracted by screens. So how do we, as followers of Jesus, use screens but not be a slave to screens, We put it away, and we count other things as more priceless. If people are going to be priceless, then the person right in front of you is more valuable than the 1,500 friends you want to show how awesome your life is on Facebook. Yeah, we've got to be willing to go the person that, the flesh and blood in front of me is more important than my image online. And we have to be willing to love and care for people that God places right in front of us. But it also means that we have to be devoted to the heart of God, which are the scriptures, that we're devoted to them. We're committed to learning. Eight and a half hours, we just go, oh, another day. I'll just charge it up and get ready for the next day. But really, do you know we touch screens 2,700 times a day? And if you play Angry Birds, it's (laughs) 40,000 Yeah, I mean, we, are, we don't touch anything. Do our hands even touch God's word in a day? I mean, think about it. This has the power to transform. That has the power to conform. And so we want to be people who are devoted to the scriptures. When you come here, be open and available. The mark of a mature believer is that they can learn easily. As I've grown... In the word, I love to hear taught. I love to hear kindergartners talk about Jesus. I love to hear my children speak about Jesus. And we could be arrogant. We can go, what you, you did misspelled, you mispronounced. You're, that's not the right pronunciation of justification. You know, we do, we get into our high tower or we even wait until we're eating from people who only teach us on our playlist rather than the person God has placed right in front of you. Be devoted to the teachings of the scriptures. That it will also mean, I'm just being open here. We need to be here for it. If we want to hear and be a part of a movement of God, we need to join the movement. The average American spends 1.6 times a month going to church. That won't join you in a movement. You'll have an attachment and a connection, but it won't be a commitment. So we want to call you to be here so we can all look at God's word And ask, what would you have us, us as individuals and us as our family, be and do in this world? Secondly, belong to the fellowship family. If it's loving fellowship, commit. I know commitment is a scary word. We've got to get over it. Because we long for commitment. We long for someone to know us really well and love us anyway. That's God. We long for people the followers of God, to know us better and to love us anyway. That's our church family. And that means that we don't have a love that we talk about, but is really just a veneer in our lives. We need a depth, right cut to the heart, relationship with God and with each other. We need to belong. Fellowship doesn't have a membership role. We don't try to assign all, you know, just sign on this the dotted line, give here, and now you're in. You know, that's not what a relationship with God is. We're a family. We do call you to commit, though, to pray for your church. It's your church, not my church, your church. To protect your church. To show up and say, how can I serve here? Not this is who I am, put me on stage, you know. We have to be people who are humble and teachable, who love and show the pattern of giving ourselves up to lift others up, just like Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. Belong, belong. And then participate in Christ-centered worship. There's going to be a choice when you look at worship and you come here and you're a part of fellowship. You can either... Be a part of a performance or participate. I'm going to ask you to participate. And participation means you're involved in it. You're responding to God for who he is and what he's done for you. Now, I came here from a Presbyterian church 15 years ago. This is how we worshipped. Okay? So over the course of 15 years, I've become much more of a participator in worship. And I would raise my hand, not to ask a question, but to lift up Jesus. I don't do this with anyone in my life except Jesus. I don't go, honey, it's so good to see you tonight. <laughs> you know? I don't do that. I don't worship my wife. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love you, my church family. But I don't do this with anyone else. When we worship like this, we're saying, God, you're the highest in my life, you're first. And we don't, we don't try to impress others around us. And I know some have tried to impress with worship stance. And if you grew up in a church that said, that's just so arrogant to raise your hand. Get over it, please. Get over it and and worship Jesus for who he is. I want to encourage you, take a deeper step in participation with worship. Now you can go, well, that's not my style. I like the organ. And some of you are saying, well, God only started his creative juices in the past 10 years. And so I like modern worship, you know, and, and there is not a style. There's not a style. As I talked to Bill Horn about what it takes to worship. He says, all we need is faith in Jesus. You show up, you believe in Jesus, participate in worship. It's gonna be so easy. Just think about it. If I just had all your phones, we lined them up here and I looked at all your playlists, you're gonna have a whole bunch of different preferences on playlists. Some of you are gonna like country, some of you like new country, some of you are going to like techno. God bless you, you know. But <laughs> others of us are gonna like rock or 80s rock or or uh, alternative or grunge or we're gonna all have different preferences. We can't have a style. We can't get into a worship war here. We come, we're available, we'll sing. The mark of a mature believer is that they easily worship. So I know I'm growing in worship when I can go to a Catholic mass and worship or when I can go to uh, a Presbyterian church, the one with the organ and the liturgy and worship, that I can worship Jesus inside this room and I can worship him in the midst of the worst news given to me in a week. It's that we usually work. That's the mark of a mature believer. It's not, I don't like the drums. I like the drums. I don't like that song. Oh, why does he play that song? He's got something against me. He doesn't love Jesus anymore. I mean, we can do that because I've heard it never from you because we are such a good church. <laughs> no, worship has divided more churches. And it's because we have this, this is how I worship. And I don't worship anything that's lower than what I think is good worship. We've got to be open and allow God to speak and work and respond to him and his greatness in our lives. And finally, go with the gospel. Go with the gospel. Take it. Every week we we get together and we lift up the name of Jesus and we respond to who he is. And then we say, go, go, get out there now and make a difference for Jesus. Make him greater than you're trying yourself. Accomplish something for him. And go out there. You have the greatest gift ever given to you. Go out and live it and give it with others. Go with the gospel. The end point of what we do in here, it cannot stay here. It must move with us out there because you have the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. That means you take him wherever you go. You put on flesh and you take him outside this place. I absolutely love that we are ascending church every week. I love that we're looking in our community. How can we make a difference? I absolutely love that I'm hearing stories of someone saying, how was your weekend? You go, man, awesome. It was an awesome weekend. And someone goes, what? What happened on your weekend? I got to serve the Lord by serving at High Crest. Whoa, tell me about what happened there. And people are sharing the gospel with each other. We love and care for our friends and our family who are far from God, and we want to reach them with the greatest gift ever given to us. Not everyone will believe. Not everyone will accept us for that. And that's okay. We'll still love them. We'll still love them because they're not a project. They're priceless, eternal people who matter to God and matter to us. We're going to go with the gospel. Those four things need to be places that we are always pursuing. When our church was 100, we were pursuing these four. When our church was 200 and 400 and 800 and wherever we are now, only God knows (laughs) that we are still committed to these practices because God adds to those numbers and God adds people and entrusts people where they will grow in a relationship with him. Be part of this family. I just look around this room and I'm thankful that God brought in every one of you today And he brought us in here to be a part of something greater than we could ever imagine on ourselves. A major movement, a major awakening of God in the city of Topeka. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person here. You know exactly uh, who they are and what's going on in their lives right now. And right now, if some of them just found you today, they realize it's not in them doing things. It's in them trusting what's already been done by you through Christ for them. May they turn to you, trust in you, and follow you. And for those who know you, Lord, may we be part of your new community, the church, the called out ones who who, who are devoted to the teaching of the scriptures, loving fellowship, living worship, and ongoing, outgoing mission. And may Jesus get the glory. May he be praised on earth as he is in heaven. It's in his name we pray, amen.